Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zivi. I'm the host, Zivi Owens. I am an author. My latest is blank, pub date March 1st, a novel. I'm also a podcaster, obviously, a publisher, a bookstore owner, and so much more. If you love books, you're in the right place. In fact, we call it the Ziviverse, or really, the LA Times called it the Ziviverse, and we're going with it. Go to ZiviOwens.com to learn more and follow me on Instagram at ZiviOwens. Jennifer Weiner is the author of The Bigfoot Queen, The Littlest Bigfoot, book three. Jennifer is the number one New York Times bestselling author of 21 books, including The Summer Place, That Summer, Big Summer, Mrs. Everything, In Her Shoes, Good in Bed, The Breakaway, A Memoir and Essays, Hungry Heart, and the series for children, The Littlest Bigfoot. She has appeared on many national television programs, including Today and Good Morning America, and her work has been published in The Wall Street Journal and The New York Times, among other newspapers and magazines. Jennifer lives with her family in Philadelphia. Visit her online at jenniferweiner.com. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks for coming back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It's time to discuss The Bigfoot Queen. Congrats. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I have to say, I started reading this to my little guy one night before bed, and then I was like, maybe I should stop. <laughs> like, it's like this person dies and this person, this person's scary and this person. And I loved it. It was so cool. And I was like, what are all of the hidden messages? What are we taking away from this? But at the end, I was like, okay, just you go to bed now that you've talked about like, you know, people with 
extra eyes and hands and you know, he's like sitting there like Trump. I remember so <laughs> way, way back many, many years ago when I was in college, the spring semester of my senior year, I took children's literature because of course I did. I was graduating in 10 minutes. I had an internship at the Village Voice. I was in New York three days a week. I'm like, this will be the easiest class in the world. It was so dark. I mean, <laughs> we had tons of reading and the reading was fascinating, but I will never forget my professor's name was Yuli Knoppelmacher, which <laughs> with a name like that, what are you going to do but teach children's literature? But, you know, we read Bruno Bettelheim's The Uses of Enchantment, and we talked a lot about how stories are where kids go to process the darkness and to sort of deal with the fact that there's so little in their lives they can control. I mean, mm -hmm. what is scarier than being a kid, you know, when your parents can like come home and be like, we're moving across the country, new school, new friends, or, you know, all of the things that can happen to kids. Your best friend moves away, your grandmother dies, you know, your pet dies. I mean, death, <laughs> death happens, although very few people with extra eyes and extra hands that I've seen. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Although you never know. My my daughter has gotten in the habit now of being able to like put myself in her shoes, you know, so she'll say things like, uh, you know, and I'll be like, it's time to go to school or like, you have to stop this right now. And she'll be like, but mom, how would you like it if you were reading one of your really good books? And then all of a sudden I said, I'm like, not now, <laughs> no time mm -hmm. for empathy. But that's what mm -hmm. you're saying. It's like, she does what exactly what you're saying is like, let me change this narrative up a little bit. And like, how mm -hmm. would you like to be as out of control as you make me feel as a parent? So yeah, getting a dose of that. Yeah, no, I, I think telling stories is how kids kind of, you know, it's how they learn to deal with all the things in their lives they can't control. And I, I think it's like, you know, storytelling is an important adult skill. Yes, 100%. So tell listeners about The Bigfoot Queen. Okay, so The Bigfoot Queen is the third book in my Littlest Bigfoot trilogy. I, I finally, finally finished. And it's the story of these two girls named Alice and Millie. And Alice lives in New York City. She's very wealthy. And every year her parents move her to a different school. And she has no friends. And she's bigger. And she's got this crazy mane of curly hair. And she's got this kind of you know, she's never really had friends. Nobody really gets her. She's very lonely. And then she goes to this boarding school in upstate New York, the Experimental Center for Love and Learning, which I, I took sort of all of the Kool-Aid from my kids' progressive schools that I haven't <laughs> drunk yet, and I put it all there. So she goes to school and she meets this girl named Millie who like, you know, she thinks Millie lives in town nearby and Millie sort of shows up at night, kind of popping out of nowhere mysteriously. And it turns out that Millie is not entirely human and she is a Bigfoot, although they don't call themselves big Bigfoots and they think that's a slur and that's really a, a problematic term for them. But Millie is fascinated with humans and she's fascinated with Alice and she just wants to know kind of everything. I mean, she's got this sort of aerial vibe. She wants to be part of her world and the two of them become friends. And then there's this other kid named Jeremy, who is like this Bigfoot hunter who believes that they're, you know, Bigfoots are real and they live in the forest and he's going to find them and he's going to finally show his family and his brothers that he's worth something. So that is book one. 
And then book two, so book one is called The Littlest Bigfoot. Book two is called Little Bigfoot Big City, where Alice and Billy go to New York and they have this big adventure and Jeremy is still hot on their trail. And we start learning more about the mystery of Bigfoots and why they are hiding. And then in The Bigfoot Queen, we get our, our resolution. We get our happy ending where the pieces all come together and the mysteries are all revealed and everybody sort of gets to be where they're supposed to be. And it was always intended to be a trilogy? Always intended to be a trilogy, yeah. Where did this whole thing come from? And, and, and in a trilogy, how do you even figure out what to put in which book? Like, how does that work? Yeah. I mean, okay. So where, where it came from was my daughter, Phoebe, who is now 16. Oh God. When, when she, when she was like seven or eight, she was fascinated by this TV show on the learning channel called Finding Bigfoot. And we would watch episodes and I would sort of come in at the end and be like, did they find Bigfoot yet? And she's like, they have not found Bigfoot. I'm like, I know they didn't find Bigfoot. And you know how I know they didn't find (laughs) Bigfoot? There are six more shows this season. Like they can't (laughs) have found him yet. So Phoebe was was fascinated by Bigfoots. And we started talking about them, Um, Phoebe and my older daughter and sort of how they would interact with the human world. Like if they existed how would it be? And we came up with this idea that there'd be sort of like a convention every year, like the annual Bigfoot convention where they would all get together and there'd be like line dancing and and Zumba and book clubs and, you know, lunches and all this stuff. And we just had this whole conversation, many conversations really about like what they would do, how they would be, would they be online? Would they have like Etsy shops and sell their <laughs> stuff? And you know, and that's, that's where it came from. And I, I pitched it. I, I talked to my agent about it. We had some meetings with different publishers and I, I guess in terms of the trilogy, so grown-up books are in the neighborhood of a hundred thousand words. When you're writing for middle grade that's more like 60,000 words. And I'm like, oh man, I got too much story. Like, it's just, it's not going to fit. And so I sort of outlined everything I wanted to do and just figured out like, okay, so book one is where it's, we establish the mystery. We establish the characters. Book two is kind of a caper. We send them on this like madcap adventure to New York. And then book three is everyone's grown up a little bit. It can be a little, a little darker, a little more serious. And then we just sort of have our resolution. And I don't know, I mean, maybe I just read so much middle grade stuff that the, the dividing it into chunks and the plotting kind of felt not, not easy, but kind of intuitive, I guess it sort of, it, it broke naturally. The beats of the story sort of fell into place pretty naturally. So in this book, you have a corporation, a mysterious corporation, move to a, a dying town where there's this innkeeper and her daughter who has such a sad backstory also. And she's, you know, working for no allowance and has an old phone, which is like, you know, the most horrible thing that could happen to her <laughs> despite the rest. And, you know, you start off with this concept of dirty money. And what does it mean if a someone comes to town and everybody, you know, the town is effectively helped, but by what? And is that okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is this some sort of, does this have to do with capitalism and some sort of corporation or where did this come from for you? Are you making a statement about (laughs) 
Google or like what what is going on here? I I, I think yes, this book is is a stealth parable about late stage the dangers of late stage capitalism. I I guess I you know people are always like you know what is the message of this book? What message are you trying to send? And really like I I'm not like a message writer. Like I do not ever want to feel like my books are a polemic and it's reading them is basically listening to me stand on a soapbox for a couple of hours and like yell at you about what I believe. But in a world where kids are trained to always want the newest, the latest, the fastest, the best, that does come at a cost. And I guess I wanted, I wanted readers to think about like, okay, so this big corporation comes to town, they've got tons of money, and suddenly this dying town has been revitalized. And there's an Indian restaurant and a French bistro, and a, and the downtown is, is pristine and, and beautiful, but there's this giant set of buildings with razor wire and armed guards all around them, and people are hearing strange noises in the night. So yeah, I mean, I guess I did maybe want kids to think a little bit about like, okay, what does it mean when I chuck my iPhone 11 because I got to have the iPhone 14? You know, someone always pays, I guess, mm-hmm. is the lesson and, and the message if there is one. And I guess I, I want, you know, that this was all like, it was a three book lot to get out of buying my kids new phones basically (laughs) (laughs) not really (laughs) oh my gosh meanwhile I love that you're like I don't want to be somebody who stands on my soapbox and yet you have an opinion column in the New York Times so you know (laughs) every every once in a while every once in a while I do god my kids are so freaking mortified every time I have a piece they're like oh Oh, stop come on they must be proud (laughs) they must be proud of you I I maybe they are a little bit but it's it's funny when the second book in the trilogy came out I did a reading at my older daughter's school and she came home and she was so mad at me she's like mom there are posters in my school with your face on it and your name and I'm like dude what is the problem like I'm I'm raising money for scholarships and she's like I don't want it I won't have it don't do this ever again Okay. Sorry. <laughs> you just can't win. You can't win with kids. Can't win. Yeah. Cannot win, should not try. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, 
be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything, it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. <laughs> well, there's also with the Jeremy plotline, this whole notion of will anyone ever believe me? And like, right. can I, can I ever redeem myself when I, if I pursue what I believe enough, even if there's no external validation, or even if it gets me into serious trouble, like all of a sudden I'm at the bottom of a pit in the dark and this is not looking good, right? How, how far are we willing to go to stand up for what we know is true. Mm-hmm. So Jeremy's an interesting case because he's got these two older brothers and one of them is like the best athlete in town and the other one is a genius. And Jeremy feels like he just cannot win. Like he is invisible as far as his parents are concerned. And in the first book, there's this scene where he goes to audition for Juilliard, even though he knows he's not that good. Like he he works really hard, but he has very little like innate talent. And he goes and he auditions. And of course, he doesn't get in. But there's this sort of afternoon's worth of hope that his parents are going to see him as somebody special and worthwhile. And I, I think any kid who's in a family with siblings or in a family at all, I think, you know, you, you struggle because you're not feeling like the main character, or at least you're not feeling like the main character all the time. And Jeremy just so desperately, he wants people to believe him and he wants to be the hero. You know, he wants to be the guy who's sort of exposing this and and saving the world. And, you know, he doesn't want to really understand at first that his actions have consequences and that if Bigfoots are real and if he sort of blows up their spot and lets the world know, they are going to be in terrible danger. They're going to be hunted. They're going to be trapped. They're going to be studied. They're going to be exploited. And, you know, Jeremy just doesn't want to know about any of that. He just wants his brothers to like, you know, take him a little more seriously. There's a lot we'll do for familial approval. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And then the other through line also, well, there are many others, but Alice and how her driver at the end was like, I didn't want to keep dropping her at all these schools. And there's some sort of like vindication. There's like a, you know, as you said, the happy ending for all the things that she's been through and her mother and, you know, that whole plot line. Tell me about what we're taking away from Alice and the change in in her life. So when I started thinking about Bigfoot's, I started 
thinking about being back in middle school and just feeling like such a freak. And I think every girl, every, probably every boy, every non-binary kid, like your body is changing and, you know, things are different. And, and I think everyone feels like the only one, like you are the only one who is experiencing this. You are the only one who has felt this way. Everybody else has it figured out. They all got the manual and you didn't. And you are just like blindly groping your way toward adulthood. And I, I remember the first book got reviewed in the Times and the reviewers sort of made the point of like, you know, the reason this book resonates is because every kid has been a Bigfoot at some, at one point or another. Yep. And so Alice, especially like Alice is, she's living in a larger body, as we say now, and she's got this like hair that she can't do a thing with. And her mom is this like society beauty, you know, this woman who just like does Pilates all day long and wears designer clothes and is is perfect and is gorgeous. And Alice just thinks like, that will never be me. That can never be me. And what we learn is that her mom's kind of gone undercover. She's in disguise. Mm -hmm. And the disguise that she's wearing is this sort of society lady face and body and clothing and shoes. And once she's kind of out of this disguise, she looks much more like Alice, like her hair is kind of bushy and she's like running around in like fur boots and a down puffer coat. And Alice is like, who are you? So I wanted to talk about the idea of like adulthood as a series of poses and costumes and disguises, right? And like different faces that we wear at different times and having Alice understand that like, the world has kind of hurt her mom. And, and that's why her mom has sort of put herself into this box, why she's conforming and that it's come with this really high price. And, you know, by the end of the book, like Alice is much more at home in her own skin. She is, she's her, her body that she sort of despised and wished were smaller and different you know, she's big and she's strong and she saves the day and it's amazing. And, you know, I, I wanted, I mean, I always, I'm, I'm always like writing about women and their bodies and the tension and the anxiety and mothers and daughters and the messages that we're sending. And, you know, I think that every mother wants her daughter to live in a better world than she grew up in. And I know that like moms now, like we're, we're so aware of diet culture and the damage that it did to us and like trying so hard to have our daughters grow up without all that noise in their head about how they're supposed to look and how they're supposed to be. But understanding that like, as hard as we try, our daughters live in the world and those messages are everywhere. And we can't, as much as we'd like to, you know, our, our homes can be a safe place, but like we can't sort of make all of that noise go away. And, you know, I think that was one of the things I wanted to talk about. And, you know, I hope that like girls that are like eight or nine or 10 are going to read this book and maybe feel a little comforted about their own physical selves, their own bodies and the worth those bodies have. 
It's so true. I mean, and it's not just girls. I mean, I know you have two girls. I have two girls and two boys and it it comes mm-hmm. to, to everybody. I mean, it's not- It does. And I'm like, yeah. how are you getting this? Sometimes they say things and I'm like, was that on YouTube? Like, where did you hear that? Why are you saying this? Where do you mm-hmm. get it? Like, I try so hard and it's- yes. You, you know, just, we all try so hard. And I just, I think that it's just like, it is in the air and it's, it's in the air they breathe. It's in the water they drink. It's on the school bus. You know, it's like, yeah. I'm sure you went through something like this with like the net nanny stuff. Like I had the internet locked down in my house. And then, you know, my kid gets on the school bus and some kid with a phone that doesn't have all the parental controls on it. Yeah, they can see anything. And I'm like, what is even the point? Why am I even trying? You know? I know. I know. It's so hard. It's ridiculous. Well, so much to digest in your book and also the fact that it was just so fun. But now, of course, I'm even more scared to go into the woods, but you never know what you'll find. Redemption. Redemption. Open redemption. Open redemption. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually, what I really love about the book is that it is literally in your DNA who you are, right? Mm-hmm. You cannot change who you are. You can't pretend to be someone you're not. Like, this is just who we are. And even if your DNA is different from someone else's, like, own it and that's it. Like, that's what I took away also. Yeah, no, I mean, I think sort of living your best life is your authentic self and not trying to change because really there's only so much you can do. I mean, you know, you can try very hard to like fit yourself into the box, but like at what cost, you know, I mean, like, I don't know which version of Cinderella you grew up reading or telling your kids, but you know, in the Grimm's fairy tale, the stepsisters cut off pieces of their feet so that their feet will fit in the glass slipper. You know, one of them cuts off her toes, the other one cuts off her heel. And, you know, we we read that in my children's literature course, you know, way back in the day. And it's like, we're all just sitting there like, who would tell their kids a story like this? Who would tell their daughters a story like this, you know? And then I grew up and then I had daughters and then I'm like, oh, I, I, you know, it's, it's a metaphor, you know, and like cutting off a piece of yourself is like every woman who went on a first date and ordered a salad, even though she really wanted a burger or kept her mouth shut because she didn't think that, you know, men liked women with opinions or Mm -hmm. made herself smaller in some way. And we all do it. We've all done it, but you know, I, I think the idea that like, you can't make yourself smaller without paying a really high price. You can't make yourself different. You can't change who you fundamentally are without paying a really high price. And I, you know, again, like I, I don't intend for my books to be message books, but I think like if girls come away, like understanding that, like, it's so much better just to figure out how to be happy with the, in the skin you're in, in the body you're in, then just sort of spend your whole life, you know, limping through the world because you've mutilated yourself or done something, you know, painful or damaging just to fit. Totally. I was at this party in 10th grade and this girl we were friends with was acting so ditzy, right? And she was really smart and all the stuff. She was just like for the guys acting a certain way. And all of a sudden, one of the guys says to her, you know, we like smart girls too. Oh, 
And I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> I, I hope I hope that guy like is married to a wonderful woman. And like, I, I hope like he's always on the cool side of the pillow and like yeah, always yeah. sunny when he goes on vacation. As <laughs> girls need to hear that, you know, like they need to hear it from their dads, I think like first and foremost. But like, I think if the boys in their lives are saying things like that, because like I remember growing up, you know, in, in my twenties, like the rules was going around. Like I'm older than you are. I don't know if you remember that book. Of but course like, I do. You're like barely right. older than I am. Maybe like a year. Well, anyway. Yes. I remember. Yes. Yes. And the thing like, you know, don't be too funny. Like if he wanted to laugh, he'd stay home and watch David Letterman. And I remember reading that and being like, well, funny's all I got. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do here, yeah. you know, but the fact is like, there are, there are guys who will love you and will see you and will see every part of you and love you anyhow. And I, I want my girls to know that I want them to like go out in the world, believing that deeply and, and believing in themselves. Yep. Okay. So your trilogy is done. You have the paperback coming out of The Breakaway, which is very exciting. Mm -hmm. What else is coming out on the adult side of things? Okay. So I just finished a a new book that's going to come out in 2025. I am not publishing anything in 2024. I'm so happy. <laughs> I haven't had a year without a book since like 2018. So that'll be nice. My daughter's going to be a junior in high school. And like, that's a big year. And, you know, I have to teach her how to drive. God help me. Thoughts and prayers. So, but I just finished this adult book, which is about two sisters who are in a band in the early aughts at, at the sort of peak Britney and Justin time, if you can remember back then. So, you know, when Jessica Simpson wore those unfortunate high-waisted jeans and people ripped her apart and said she looked fat because she like wasn't in her little Daisy Duke shorts and like Diane Sawyer interviewing Brittany after the Justin breakup and being like, you broke that poor boy's heart. What did you do to him? And of course, now we all know, you know, from the distance of 22 years later, like that was not what happened at all. Right. So they're in this band in the early aughts. There's a love triangle. Band breaks up. The sisters are estranged. They aren't, they're not seeing each other. One of them actually moves to Alaska. And I would just like to say that I started writing this book before True Detectives Night Country came out and Alaska got hot. <laughs> I was there, was there first. So one sister is in Alaska, one's in suburban Philadelphia with a teenage daughter who wants to be a musician and is intent on finding this estranged aunt. So it's the story of three women, one band. It's it's about me, women in rock and roll and misogyny and the way the way that women got treated, the way that female stars got treated back then and, you know, sort of the way they get treated now and what's changed and what hasn't. And, you know, it's, it's about sister stuff and mother daughter stuff and music stuff and love stuff. And we have a working title. I I've had so much trouble. Sometimes my titles just come and it's perfect and I've nailed it and that's it. And sometimes I'm just like, I got nothing. And it takes me like the length of the book and like six or seven drafts to get there. But I think, I think that it is going to be called the Griffin sisters greatest hits. Mm, that's good. I think so. That's yes. The sisters. Yes. It's Zoe and Cassie Grossberg. And of course, Grossberg is not going to work in music. 
And so like they they meet with this late this record label is like, you know, it's like, you know, I think we should change it. And one of the sisters is like, why? And you know, he's like, ah, oh, you know, for for people. And she's like, people who don't like Jews. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, um, maybe. Oh my gosh. We might as well just put yeah. it out there. <laughs> I, I my God, it's like I was not intending to write about anti-Semitism and then the world happened and now suddenly it's like, you know, I, I I frequently will have Jewish characters in my books, but now I'm really finding myself, it feels much more like a mission to sort of have those characters and have them be like fully, completely human in these books. Because surprisingly, there are still people who don't see Jews that way, which I cannot believe in, you know, in the year of our Lord and Beyonce 2024, that that's still going on, but here we are. Yeah. Didn't see this year coming, but yes. Mm. <laughs> Last, yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, we could, we could do an hour. I, I know. That. I was like, we're, we're like winding down here. I can't even start. <laughs> so we continued some other platform. Anyway. Yeah. Well, Jen, thank you so much for coming back on. Thank you for the Bigfoot queen and all the messages that you subtly put in, even though you didn't mean to, perhaps, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> and I'll look forward to the Grossberg Griffin sisters when they're ready to hit the town. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much for having me. Okay. Thank you. Okay. All right. Have a great day. Great. Have a great Bye. day. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.